Thanks for joining us today on The Pulse by Bernstein, where we bring you insights on the economy, global markets, and all the complexities of wealth management. I'm your host, Stacey Jacobson. Last summer, we hosted Bernstein's Lei Chu on the podcast to talk about the transformative potential of AI. Now that we've had more data available and experts have had time to analyze the growing impact of AI, we figured it was a good time to revisit the topic. From a consumer perspective, the focus is on the output of AI models, like generative images or chatbots. But for investors, what happens behind the scenes is more important. As we saw in 2023, companies that make the semiconductors needed to power AI computing saw their share prices go up dramatically. As AI matures and the paradigm shift becomes a new reality, investors will need to understand the technology and intellectual capital that support the AI ecosystem. Data collection and storage, energy for computing needs, and cloud computing are all areas where we could see significant innovation and growth. So to gain a better understanding of how these pieces work together, we're joined today by Bernstein's senior investment strategist, Roosevelt Bowman. Roosevelt, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Stacey. I appreciate it. Look, I'll start by saying that AI is a hugely complex topic, and we could really take this conversation in many directions. But where I'd like to start today is with the data. What should we know about the role of data in creating the successful AI models? So if you think about data and the importance in creating the models, it's really just like a recipe. So I like chocolate chip cookies. I'll stick with food. If you have the freshest and best ingredients, it's going to taste pretty good. If you're kind of rummaging in the back of the cabinet for some stuff that's pushing up against the expiration date, your outcome is not going to be nearly as tasty. So it's really similar. It is a garbage in, garbage out. If you have bad data or data that maybe isn't structured the way you need it, I'll come back to that in a moment, then you end up with a model and outputs that are not terribly useful. So the data really is the the crux and the foundation of a successful, useful artificial intelligence model. Okay, so let's say we do have those ingredients that are at the front of the pantry. What are the next steps then in terms of building out these AI models? Sure, so I think it really comes in, in two parts or two forms when you think about the data. The structured data would be your nice, normal, already formatted, easy to understand information. So you're looking at a company, you know how much they sold, you know how much revenue they got for their sales. Pretty straightforward. The unstructured data would be more of what you observe or data that comes in a text form that isn't nicely and neatly packaged. You're thinking about foot traffic in a mall or text messages from consumers to the company that they're buying products from. So I think that's an example of unstructured data where you really have to take the raw information and convert it into a usable form. So once we have those two sets of data, both structured and unstructured, then it's an iterative process. You're not gonna come up with the model that produces the really good output the first time. You're gonna have to keep working at it, working at it, working at it until you get a really good solution. When we think about the form of AI that most people, including myself, that are exposed to, it's that large language model or the LLM. ChatGPT is the prime example here. What does it take from an energy perspective to power the LLM models? Sure. And when we think about these LLM models, you know, what are they producing? It's, as you mentioned, Stacy, so many of these really interesting outputs. It's looking at summarizing a document taking text, converting it to an image. These are all fascinating kind of developments over this short period of time, but they do require a lot of energy. You know, just to level set, 
you think about these data centers, which certainly will house not only the models, but all the information, the vast amounts of data that support LLM models, they often take up and use 50 times as much power as a normal commercial building. And that's not considering the fact that LLM models use a lot more information and data and energy than your normal AI model. So I think going forward, that's the, the most important question, right? Is the trade-off between these tremendous outputs, but all of the energy that's being consumed and the carbon emissions that come with it. So Roosevelt, we've identified that there is an energy usage issue. What are we trying to do to solve that? There are a couple of solutions and they're already being implemented, but they do have limitations. The first would be, we're looking at the semiconductors, the computer chips that are running these models. Let's make them smaller, let's make them faster, let's make them more efficient, uses less energy. That's without a doubt one way of addressing the issue, but there's a limit to how far we can push that innovation. I think the other would be the data. If we go back to our uh, structured versus unstructured example, if you have data that really isn't formatted in the way you need to use, it takes more energy, more computational power to get it in the right format to then run the model. So if you can kind of format the data better, that will also save some energy. Again, there's a limitation to that solution. We will be confronted, I think rather quickly, with that trade-off. Are these fantastic outputs worth it given the amount of energy that the LLM models use and the carbon emissions that are associated with the process. It kind of feels like the uh, train has already left the station on that one, though. Is there really any way to pull it back? <laughs> there isn't, and you're absolutely right. I think it's it's really a matter of understanding, hey, how far can we push some of the innovations and then maybe streamlining the usage of it? But without a doubt, it's a key trade-off. One of the other trade-offs that is on the mind of many is AI potentially taking away jobs, right? Having machines do tasks that humans are currently doing. What are your thoughts on that? You know, when you look through history, you see this worry a lot whenever there's new innovative technologies that emerge. It's all the jobs are going to be taken by a program or a computer or a robot. There will be replacement. I don't mean to to be flippant about it at all. But I think the first stage is much more of this collaborative effort that improves the productivity of existing workers rather than replacing them. So, you know, I'm a data scientist. I've built machine learning models where it gets the highlights or provides me with the highlights of a document. So for a 90-page research piece, all of a sudden I can read 20 pages and get some really important information to get to our clients a lot faster. So the program did not replace me. I still need to be there, be in the meeting, answer the client's questions, but I'm able to do that much more efficiently than I would be able to do in the past. And I think that to me is the stage that we're in now. And without a doubt, if you have people that are open-minded about using the tools and with some technical proficiency, there's really some great productivity gains to be had. Yeah, and I love that you just used that example and the fact that you actually have to still layer on the human uh, the human brain and the ability to think because hallucinations continue to be an issue. You know, I read one study that somewhere between 3 to 27% of outputs are actually entirely fabricated. How confident are we in the output of some of the information that we're getting? Sure. It's a really good question and I think I sort of think of it in two separate scenarios, right? In the scenario where you think about artificial intelligent models, their algorithms, they're based on tons of data that say, you know what, 
given the range of outcomes, this is probably what's going to happen. And here's your answer. So it works really well if your path or method to getting to the answer is consistent. It doesn't change over time. If it does change over time, you can end up with a really bad answer. So an investing example would be asking a generative AI program, ChatGPT, whatever, how to build a model to predict an exchange rate. That's not going to end well. It will give you lots of flowery language about how to build the model. You will trade that model. You will lose your money. And the reason for that is predicting currencies is really difficult. And the process or model to predict them changes quite often, every three or four years in some cases. So that's where AI, I think, can, you know, there's a downfall or a pitfall there where if the person doesn't have a good base of knowledge of what they're asking about and the process of getting the answer is variable rather than constant, then you can end up with an answer that's not terribly useful. For investors to be truly confident in some of the outputs of AI, how is it going to get better? How are we going to be able to take that skepticism out of it and have more confidence in the outputs? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple ways. The first way is really having people that are open-minded about using the technology. That sounds simple, but it's not, quite frankly. There's there's lots of fears we mentioned before about replacement. So having people that are open-minded and understanding, even if they don't have the highest level of technical skill or maybe even low technical skill, they can't integrate it into their work. I think the other part of it too is that while we're enamored with these unbelievable outputs, it's understanding and being self-aware about some of the limitations and the inherent bias, right? And I mean that in a mathematical sense. So if you're building a model or you have data that goes in that really it's not a fact, it's incorrect, you're going to end up with poor results. Sometimes those incorrect statements are comforting to the user. <laughs> and so there isn't a motivation to change the information to actually correct it. So I think that's where the kind of next stage is, is being open-minded to using the tools and being open and honest where some of the information that the models have been built on is not correct. And how do we go change it and make it, you know, really just quite frankly, make it more accurate going forward. So when we talked with Lei Chu last year, the investment landscape around AI was still really new. It was July of 2023. And it was almost just too new to have this clearly defined perspective on some of the companies that might be the winners and the losers. As 2023 unfolded with the MAG-7, we really did see some of the companies that are starting to convert into price appreciation. Going into 2024 and beyond, where do you think the winners may be? I think this first stage that we've seen is more what I would call the infrastructure of AI. So you think about some companies that are focused on cloud computing, the storing and accessing of all that data, the semiconductor producers, how do you actually run the programs? I think that's the stage one. The stage two will be more of those companies like we referred to before that have tons of data and are open-minded about changing their workforce to kind of leverage and take advantage of that. So I think that's where we are in terms of phase two. And that's a broader set of companies. You don't necessarily have to be a tech company that's so focused on the building blocks of how do you generate a model like the data or the semiconductor. You can be a, a company that just has lots of information about consumers and a willingness to use it in different ways. And you can really capitalize. I do think the other firms that can emerge as winners, and Leia certainly bought some of these in her portfolio uh, going forward, is those companies that can use AI and produce products 
They can be used across industries. So it's not just maybe an AI tool for car makers or some other sort of transportation. It's all across, right? So that I think is another example of companies where they can really benefit. You know, the more flexible and malleable your solution is, the more different companies across industries can adapt it, the bigger your your kind of bottom line earnings can be. To close out here, I'd really just love to get your thoughts on where you think AI is going in the near future and then maybe at the longer term disruption. I think over the near future, there's still going to be a heavy focus on that infrastructure of AI. But as I mentioned before, I think we're moving towards the second phase, which is those companies that can actually use all that data and can have their products used across industries. I do think the other part of this, too, that'll be really important for investors is identifying the difference between a good idea and a product that will be profitable and a stock that's worth buying, right? You can have a great tool, but if it's very easy to replicate it, that's not going to generate value for shareholders. And so I think that's the part that's very tricky, that's important for investors to navigate right now, that many companies are going to try to ride this buzz wave of AI attach AI to the back of their company name, but maybe don't really have this competitive advantage in the space that's going to generate shareholder value year after year. So I think we are going to have to look at these different companies with a much more discerning eye and not just be fooled by tagging AI to their business and their processes. All right, Roosevelt, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate it. Thanks to everyone for giving us a listen. For the previous episode on AI with Lei Chu, click the link in this episode's description. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Pulse by Bernstein on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Stacey Jacobson, wishing you a great rest of the week.